Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Dignity Memorial. When your celebration of life is prepaid today, your family is protected tomorrow. Planning ahead is truly one of the best gifts you can give your family. For additional information, visit DignityMemorial.com. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. Hey there, babies. Fall asleep to me. I'm your Lullabill, Bill Curtis. And here is your host, who keeps a picture of his audience in a locket around his neck, Peter Sagan. Thank you, Bill. And thanks once more to our fake audience, which this week is every person in Chicago over the age of 30 celebrating that Lollapalooza is online this year. (laughs) Enjoy your drunk vomiting in the safety of your own home, kids. Later on, we're going to be talking to Rami Youssef, a comedian and actor who, in his series, Rami, finally lends dignity and expression to a much maligned minority in America. That is, of course, people from New Jersey. We're more than just mobsters and women with big hair, America. We want to hear from you, no matter which armpit of America you might hail from. The number is one wait wait That's one 888 It's time to welcome our first listener contestant. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hey, my name is Jeff, and I'm from Savage, Minnesota. Savage, Minnesota. Wow. I, I've, I think I've been there, and it's not quite as savage as it sounds, is it? <laughs> not even close. What do you do there? I'm an elementary music teacher. Oh, my gosh. Is that something that you're able to do uh, virtually, quote unquote? You know, I do feel like I am my best teacher when I'm in the classroom, but uh, I had an opportunity to jump on Zoom calls, and, and it was really good to get, get online and see 15 second graders after having not seen them for the first part of the pandemic. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, I guess one of the nice things of listening to your student orchestra play over Zoom is that you can turn it down and just smile and they'll never know. (laughs) That's true. Let me introduce you to our panel this week, Jeff. First up, it's a comedian who hosts the trivia podcast, Go Fact to Yourself on the Maximum Fun Network. And she can be seen in the Netflix series, Ashley Garcia, Genius in Love. It's Helen Hong. Hi. Hi, everybody. Next up, he's a writer and producer for Jesus and Marrow on Showtime and the host of the podcast, Make My Day. It's Mr. Josh Gondelman. Hello. So nice to be here with you at my house and wherever you all are. And finally, a comedian and host of the podcast, Fake the Nation. You can also catch her on Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson and on this week's Travel Tales podcast, it's Nagin Farsad. Oh, my God. Hey. Welcome to the show, Jeff. You're going to play Who's Bill this time? Bill Curtis is going to read you three quotations from this week's news. If you can correctly identify or explain just two of them, you'll win our prize. Any voice from our show, you might choose in your voicemail. Are you ready to play? I'm ready. All right. Your first quote is from a doctor who ended up much in the news this week. Most of these diseases are evil deposits from the spirit husband. That was Dr. Stella Emanuel, who this week, or at least for a moment, became the favorite doctor of whom? I have to guess Trump. Yes, you guessed correctly. (laughs) Move over, Dr. Fauci, the president's new Dr. McDreamy, is Dr. Stella Emanuel. She believes demons are having sex with us while we sleep. Seriously. Politicians are secretly lizards. That's also serious. Doctors make medicines from alien DNA, seriously, and the magic eight ball is real. 
<laughs> Wait, can I silver lining this for just a quick sec and point oh, out that she's an immigrant and like for Donnie to say anything positive about immigrants was kind of nice though, right? You are grasping at straws and I can only applaud you. Yes. It, it's it is, a pandemic. Let me have it. it. It is nice that this woman came to America and achieved the American dream of spreading lunacy <laughs> for profit. Making that silver lining is so heavy, clouds are falling out of the sky and crushing cars. <laughs> and the reason um, Trump retweeted her and loves her is that she was in favor of hydroxychloroquine, yeah, right? She said, and this got videotaped and then spread by right-wing media, that she has been treating her patients with hydroxychloroquine, and they've all done incredibly well, she says. Well, like, how much can one president love hydroxychloroquine? You know what I mean? Like, it, he cannot stop. It's like he's tr he's like flirting with it all the time, <laughs> sending it signals constantly. You know what I mean? It's like too much. He does talk about it like he just discovered it on a semester abroad and I can't <laughs> wait to tell everyone back home about it. It's pronounced hydroxy. You know, I, I actually am starting to really like this woman. I'm going to point this woman out to my Korean parents who have been trying to get me to become a doctor since I was five and be like, you know, this is what you want. Come on. All right. Very good. Your next quote is a bit of reassurance from Jeff Bezos. I can't guarantee that your data has never been violated. Now, Bezos was one of four tech CEOs who testified under oath where this week? Um at Congress. Yes, indeed, in front of the House Judiciary Committee. The four biggest people in tech testified on Wednesday. That would be Tim Cook of Apple, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, Sundar Pichai of Google, and Amazon's Alexa. Weirdly, Alexa responded to every question with, I'm sorry, Congressman, I didn't get that. <laughs> I can't believe, considering who they are, like these tech giants, that they that the Wi-Fi connection actually was maintained throughout the entire <laughs> procedure. Actually, like, can't you imagine like Bezos being like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm losing you." Hello. That actually happened. They had to hold up the hearing for ten minutes because Jeff Bezos, the richest guy in the world, his connection wasn't working. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. That was by design. That's what happens when you go to buy a router and you buy the one the ad placed there instead of the good one. <laughs> he he's all. It's only slow because he knows that five. G causes COVID-19. Exactly. So, you know, this is not fair. I don't think it's fair that they get to testify online because Mark Zuckerberg on the internet, he's playing a home game. Congress has no advantage over him. That's absolutely right? this true. This is where he thrives. Yeah. yeah. What I loved about Jeff Bezos' testimony was essentially like, hey guys, yeah, like I run a site where everybody on the planet buys everything from me, everything from like shoelaces to like cheese graters and whatever you can think of, and then I gather all the money. What's the problem? Exactly. You know I mean? And then he was like, hey, uh, I'm going to need a second to go to the bathroom like I don't let my employees do. Can we break for five? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the other thing I loved about this, um, this whole um, hearing was that the Democrats were really – like anti-tech, the big tech bros, and so were the Republicans. Like it was a, it was like a rare moment of bipartisan hatred of big tech. Yes. Like, oh my god, you guys hate big tech. Like we hate big tech. But the, <laughs> but the reasons Nagin were really different. The 
Democrats kept asking the execs about their horrible monopolistic business practices, and the Republicans kept asking them about why they're all so mean to Republicans. This is true. <laughs> One GOP congressman, dead serious, demanded answers from the CEO of Google about why his campaign emails ended up in his dad's spam folder. <laughs> Isn't that bias, sir? And it's like, that's just what happens when an old person emails a different old person. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Jeff, we have one more quote for you. It's from the South Florida Sun Sentinel sports section. Well, that didn't take long, did it? After only four days, what sport might be reconsidering its decision to finally play this summer? Oh, that's baseball. Yes, indeed. Less than a week into the long-delayed season, uh, the Florida Marlins had to cancel a bunch of games because 17 of their players and staff came down with a virus. That is, of course, the first time some of their outfielders caught anything. So <laughs> no more baseball in Miami, so at least that remains normal. So many players are now out across the league, the Phillies had to ask one of their players' dads to just pitch to everyone. <laughs> I, I feel like this was just a matter of time because I heard that they were asking the players to self-quarantine, but there was no checking in on them. Yes. <laughs> the whole plan the whole plan that Major League Baseball had, right, was like, no fans in the stadiums. Maybe if we're real quiet, the disease won't hear us and find us. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys been watching any of the games? I'm a big baseball fan. It's really weird. There are no fans. There are fake fan noises. Do they do, is, I was going to say, do they do what we do here at Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me? No. Which is they, they put in fake audience, like, clapping and laughter? Yes, they do. They, they apparently had listened to our show and realized how wonderful and, and realistic our sound effects are, so they added them. So what it is, is if you happen to watch a game, you'll just hear this constant sort of low-pitched audience roar. And it's so weird because you're like, you're listening and you're like, all of those people are probably long dead. <laughs> and they're cheering for the bit. It's just. Wow. I didn't, I didn't expect it to go dark like that. I either, know. But okay. <laughs> Bill, how did Jeff do in our quiz? Well, Jeff, you can now tell your second graders, this is how you get a perfect score. <laughs> yes. Congratulations, nice. Jeff. Oh, I appreciate it. And Thank I hope God. for everybody's sake, you get to go back into your classrooms soon, but safely. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, panel, it is now time for you to answer some questions about the rest of the week's news. Nagin, the golden age of children's play areas is now over as the coronavirus pandemic seems to have finally put an end to what? Um... The thing where you jump into a, a area of a, like a lot of soft balls. Yes, the ball pit. Oh, the That's ball. exactly right. <laughs> They're going extinct. Now, for those who don't know, ball pits are these enormous bins filled with thousands of plastic balls, which little kids can jump around in as long as they like. And since little kids are so amazingly hygienic, what with their pooping and peeing and sneezing, basically every single ball pit 
is a Superfund toxic waste site. Ugh. When you described it as, I have to quibble with the way you described it as a big Please. pit full of plastic balls. What it really is is a big pit full of staph infection surrounded <laughs> by plastic balls. Yeah, if you were to, if you were to like actually analyze it by volume, yeah, it's, it's like twenty percent plastic, eighty percent pathogen. You can't spell immersive play experience without MRSA. Is what you learned. <laughs> Coming up, our panelists get down to the essentials in our Bluff the Listener game. Call one wait wait to play We'll be back in a minute with more of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the NPR Wine Club. Get the world of wine delivered to your home with stories inside every bottle and favorite NPR shows arriving in liquid form, like Planet Money Malbec and All Vines Considered Cabernet Sauvignon. The NPR Wine Club is a delicious way to support NPR's programming. If you're 21 or older, uncork your special offer at nprwineclub.org. Everyone loves pistachios, and pistachios love water, and California doesn't have enough water. So how do farmers figure out who gets to grow which nuts? Economics, of course. On the next episode of Planet Money Summer School, we explain how we all get along. Classes every Wednesday on Planet Money from NPR. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We are playing this week with Helen Hong, Josh Gondelman, and Nagin Farsad. And here again is your host, who just finished typing the complete works of Shakespeare with a room full of monkeys, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Right now it's time for the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Bluff the Listener Game. Call one wait wait to play our game on the air. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hi, um, my name's Lauren. I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Oh, I love Ann Arbor. Are you a student at the U? I am a dropout PhD student of colonial Latin America. Oh, really? Yes. So did you just you just decided you weren't interested in colonial Latin America anymore? Or? No, no, not that. It was um, I, me in grad school had a we had a fight, sort of. You in grad school had a disagreement. Yeah, I might have lost or won. I haven't decided yet. Was it not them? It was you, or was it you, not them? No, it was. I mean, I don't like to blame. It's never a dichotomy. Yeah. It was it was a conscious uncoupling. You in grad school, right? It's more of a dialectical relationship. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> very yeah. grad school way to say that. Yeah, very good, Lauren. It's great to have you with us. You're going to play the game in which you must try to tell truth from fiction. Bill, what is Lauren's topic? Non-essential? Me? In the last few months, we've been hearing a lot about who's essential, who's non-essential, and who's just annoying. Our panelists are going to tell you about a person who was classified as non-essential in the news, perhaps unwisely. Pick the one who's telling the truth. You'll win the wait waiter of your choice in your voicemail. Are you ready to play? Yes. Well, then let's do it. Let's hear first from Nagin Farsad. 
The town of Woodley, Idaho is picturesque with its giant cedar trees, its one cafe, one gas station, and one ice cream shop. And when the pandemic hit, Woodley's three-person city council deemed the cafe and gas station essential businesses, but not the ice cream shop. Owner-operator Gene Needler was gutted that he had to furlough himself, but he left to go out of town and visit family. As summer temperatures began to rise, townspeople started to get real unreasonable about their access to small-batch ice cream. The gas station owner, Brought Fiddler, said, once you're exposed to Gene's real hand-packed ice cream, you just can't go back to the store-bought stuff. I mean, we're not animals. Complaints grew until at one point local resident and mother of three, Shailene Hancock, took matters into her own hands when she broke into the ice cream shop, by which I mean there was a key under the mat and she just used the key to simply walk in. Shailene began operating a prohibition-style illegal ice cream operation. News quickly made it around town, and if you knew the code word, which you'll never guess was actually ice cream, she would let you in. At first, people were happy. It was exciting to see ice cream in town again, but some complained that Shailene was too experimental. Gene never made us eat avocado and saffron ice cream, said one resident. Why would anyone put pickled mango with blue cheese? Things got out of control when her three kids, all under the age of 10, thought it would be funny to sneak in random flavors like sriracha and sardines. Things came to a head when they threw Tide Pods into a batch of rainbow ice cream. Luckily, it was a local adult who tasted a Tide-tainted rainbow scoop. He quickly spit it out but reported Shailene to the police. She was detained at the local jail for two hours, long enough to earn the name Shailene Two Scoops. Authorities wanted to charge her with ice cream racketeering, but after realizing that's not on the books as a real crime, find her $75 and sent two scoops on her way. An ice cream shop owner in Idaho gets furloughed and chaos ensues. Your next story of a non-essential worker comes from Josh Gondelman. During this year's pandemic and economic downturn, Ray Donovan, no relation, owner of Donovan's Roast Beef and Seafood in Wellfleet, Massachusetts, needed to find ways to make ends meet. And when his world record collection of hand-burnt Bill Buckner jerseys failed to find a buyer on eBay, Donovan was forced to lay off an employee. Specifically, he fired Martin, Marty, Lawrence, also no relation, better known as Clawby Orr, the Donovan's parking lot's ever-present dancing lobster mascot. It was a hard choice, and trust me, letting go of a valued employee is not my idea of a good time, Donovan said. But the decision had an unintended consequence. The building that houses Donovan's, constructed in the humble style of mid-century you-think-you're-better-than-me guy, is barely (laughs) visible from the road. And without a mascot in the parking lot, many would-be patrons have been driving right past the establishment. And with no U-turn available to them for several miles along Route 6, several have simply found another restaurant to eat at. But by the time he realized his mistake, it was too late. Lawrence had already been hired by Donahue's Seafood and Roast Beef, just a mile up the road from Donovan's Roast Beef and Seafood. In fact, many patrons, seeing the signature lobster costume, have pulled over at Donahue's, entirely unaware that they're at a different restaurant than the one they intended to visit. As for Lawrence, he says he's just happy to be back to work. Seriously, kid, it's as hot as Satan's armpit in that suit, but when I see the smiling customers dunking their steamers and butter, it's all worth it. On the other hand, if Mr. Donovan sees this, I hope a bunch of Yankees fans burn down his lobster store. (laughs) A dancing lobster fired or let go in Maine only to find employment at another roast beef and seafood shack. Your last story of someone who did not seem needed comes from Helen Hong. The bears of Mammoth Lake, California may not know it yet, but they may have just lost their very best friend. 
Steve Searles, known to locals as the Bear Whisperer and star of the Animal Planet series of the same name, is out of a job as pandemic-related budget cuts have forced his town to cut their bear whispering budget. The town is home to about a dozen black bears who will occasionally break into a home or car looking for food. When that happens, everyone knows to call Mr. Searles, who has worked as the town's wildlife specialist for decades. The ponytailed former surfer will show up and usually just yell at the bear. Hey, bad bear, you get out of here, he'll growl in his gravelly voice. For particularly stubborn bears, he'll just yell louder. His non-lethal tactics have been so successful that he's inspired other bear-infested towns to try similar approaches. But the pandemic has been very bad for business, (laughs) and Mammoth Lakes can barely pay any of their bills. (laughs) Mr. Searles is heartbroken to have lost the job he loves, but not as heartbroken as the bears, who I'm sure took pride in getting called a bad bear. (laughs) All right. Here are your choices. One of these persons was let go in the pandemic, and good things did not ensue. Was it from Nagin, an ice cream shop owner in Idaho, who was replaced by someone who had, shall we say, less traditional tastes? From Josh Gondelman, a dancing lobster who was let go by a seafood shack, much to that seafood shack's dismay? Or from Helen Hong, the bear whisperer of Mammoth Lakes, California? Which of these people was let go? Um, so I'm going to have to go with the bear story. You're going to go with the bear story, Helen's story of the bear whisper of Mammoth Lakes. Well, we actually spoke to the person who sadly lost their position. People are fascinated with my conversation with bears. So being called the bear whisperer is, you know, I'm more of a bear yeller. (laughs) That was Steve Searles, the bear whisperer himself and former wildlife officer for Mammoth Lakes, California. He's lost his job, but I want him to know that he is now the official bear whisperer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Congratulations, Lauren. You got it right. You earned a point for Helen just for being truthful. But you, of course, won our Woo-hoo. prize, the voice of your choice in your voicemail. Congratulations. Woo-hoo. Thanks, Helen. Thanks, Lauren. Take care. Thank you. Bye. And now the game where very smart people come on to be asked about dumb things. It's called Not My Job. Rami Youssef says he wanted to make a TV show about his own life in New Jersey because he didn't want the only Muslims on TV to be the terrorists on Homeland. So now we know Muslims can also be sexually confused millennials who keep making terrible life choices. He's won a Golden Globe for the first season of Rami on Hulu and has now been nominated for multiple Emmys for season two. Rami Youssef, welcome to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. I just so much love your show, but uh, I, I've been checking in with everybody. Where are you holing up during the pandemic? Uh, I'm in LA right now. I, I was actually here on like a two-day visit, and then it turned into, yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> and that was how many years ago? We don't remember. I know, because it was, it was Hank's got it. And then once Hank's got it, they were like, we're shutting this down. Really? And, and so no one, yeah, no one, that I think is going to be when we look back in history, the turning point. When Tom Hanks got sick. Yeah. So it's yeah. before Hank's getting sick and after. Yeah. Um, I assume you have uh, some elaborate hillside estate because you're a TV star, <laughs> right? No. 
I, uh, <laughs> well, Helen, Helen knows, you know, I, um, I, can I just jump in and say, I know Rami from doing stand up and, um, and I know Rami's roommate, uh, his roommate and I are really good friends. And so I've been to Rami's place many times and Rami, I don't know if you still have this, but there was a dude that was living in Rami's pantry, yeah. like off of their kitchen. They had this really big like closet slash pantry where you would fit cans of food and it was big enough for someone to lie down in. And for the longest time, he had a guy renting out his kitchen closet and sleeping <laughs> yeah. there. And when, Rami, when you won your Golden Globe, I texted Paul and was like, is Rami the Golden Globe winner still living in your house with the dude in the random closet? And he's like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the first things we did in the pandemic was ask him to leave because uh, it, it, it was it was not uh and and you would think well it's a pandemic it's time to stick together but really uh the pandemic it's time to clean out the closet and, and we, we made sure that that happened so congratulations on the golden globe which i, I know a lot of people were shocked by I, I i once read that you said your own mother expected like michael douglas to win it yeah because she was like he has more movies than you you know, that, that was like, the, that like true. I thought it was just this like cumulative, like, you know, of the whole career. And I'm like, no, that's not that's not how it adds up. But yeah. Well, did she did she eventually come around to the fact that you deserved it or is she still like Mr. Douglas is probably very sad he didn't get it? <laughs> yeah, my mom's just like, man, this PC crap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and now two Emmy nominations. This is really extraordinary. Congratulations. Um, oh, thank you. I, the show, for people who haven't seen it, is essentially autobiographical. You play a guy named Rami, who is living in New Jersey with his family, as you presumably did for many years. The show depicts your, your life as you lived it growing up in suburban New Jersey as part of a Muslim family in the community there? Well, probably the closest that it gets to things that felt like my life. In the first season, we have an episode that revolves around middle school me. Um, and I think the rest of the series is very much me imagining this kind of shadow alt version of myself where if I didn't have a passion, if I didn't find acting comedy, if I kind of just played out this very plausible other version of my life, what would that look like? It's interesting because you, you, you've made an autobiographical piece of art that depicts yourself as the loser you're not which is the opposite way it usually works, right? I mean, yeah. um, I, well, I thought it would be weird if it's just like me charming baristas for 20 minutes. I was like, this isn't, and it's called Rami. And I'm just like, did you get a new haircut? And she's like, no one noticed it. I'm like, I just, that, that would be like actually sociopathic. Um, season two is, uh, it's a lot of people say it's even better than season one, which is saying something. And Mahershala Ali appears in it got an Emmy nomination for his role. Is it true that he got in touch with you and said, I love your show. I want to be on it because he's a double Academy Award winner. It was more the I love your show part. And then I kind of turned it into, well, how much do you love it? Uh, and, <laughs> really? You know, I kind of prove your kinda love, Mahershala Ali. <laughs> I kind of made him step up to the plate a little bit. I asked him to be in one and then he ended up being in six. Uh, so it was, it was a really, happen. it was really fun. It's, it's it sort of like how the guy ended up in your closet. You invited him in for a night yeah. and never left. <laughs> I can't tell you how accurate that is. <laughs> because it was Mahershala Ali living in your closet. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was like, dude, you've won too many awards. Like, yeah. know, but wait, dude, you got a Golden Globe. You still got roommates. Why not him with two Oscars? <laughs> Bolstering the door closed with his Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> There's an Oscar on the door, dude. Knock. <laughs> I told you, when the moonlight ones out, I'm, <laughs> I'm with a girl. When the green book ones out, I'm working. <laughs> Well, Rami Youssef, it is an absolute pleasure to talk to you, but we've invited you here to play a game that we're calling Say Hello to This New Jersey. As we've discussed, you're from New Jersey, you represent New Jersey, so we wondered what you know about other jerseys, specifically sports jerseys. Answer two out of three questions about sports jerseys. You'll win our prize for one of our listeners, the voice of anyone they might choose for their voicemail from our show. Bill, who is Rami Youssef playing for? Barbara Hoffman of Burlington, Vermont. All right, two out of three here. Not a big deal. Multiple choice. Here we go. The Italian powerhouse soccer team AC Milan signed a sponsorship deal with the jeans company. That's great. But the jerseys they had to wear were problematic. Why? Was it A, the company insisted that the jerseys be made of denim, which chafed? B, the shirts had the jeans company name printed in huge letters across the front, which was POO? Or C, the shirts were so poorly fitted the team became known as the Fighting Dad Jeans? I'm going to say it's A, the, the, the denim material. Yeah. You're going to say it's A. Feels very Italian. Yeah. It does. Makes perfect sense. But in fact, it was B. They had to wear the shirts with the big name Poo written on the front. <laughs> Which maybe doesn't mean what it means in Italian as it does in English. I don't know. but Better front of the shirt than back of the shorts. True. True. <laughs> All right. You have two more chances. This is not a problem. A Greek soccer team took the field a few years ago with the name of their sponsor proudly on their jerseys. Now, who was the sponsor? A, their main rival team, resulting in both teams wearing the same jerseys. B, a local brothel. Or C, an angry fan who paid to have the message, we suck, printed on the jerseys. I'm going to go with B, the local brothel. That's exactly right. Yeah. The local brothel <laughs> sponsored the football team. Community relations, I guess. <laughs> all right. Get the last one right. You win it all. Among the least fortunate jerseys ever created for a sports team were the ones for which of these teams back in 1905? A, the American baseball team, the Traveling Jews. B, the Canadian ice hockey team, the Windsor Swastikas. Or C, the French women's badminton team, the Mistresses. I'm going to go with C. C is the only one that I can imagine being a real part of our history. <laughs> the much feared mistresses. We're playing the mistresses tonight. Don't tell anyone. You don't say you're playing the mistresses. You say you're going out to a work dinner. <laughs> so I guess I'm, what I'm asking you, Rami, is that your final choice? No, no. no. <laughs> Couldn't be. Um, I'm going to go with B. That's right. The Windsor Swastikas. Because it was 1905, right? They hadn't ruined it by then. It was just an ancient symbol meaning prosperity. They meant well. It was fine. But to see a photograph of the 1905 <laughs> Windsor, Ontario swastikas is quite shocking. <laughs> Bill, how did Rami Youssef do in our quiz? Well, they got two out of three. That is a win, Rami. <laughs> and you're free to use this as a theme on your TV show. <laughs> the Emmys and now this in just one short year or one longest year ever, whichever you choose. And you got the dude out of the closet. <laughs> really? I mean, now, I mean. finally, maybe. Having won this, you can finally get your own place to live. I yeah. <laughs> 
Rami Youssef is the creator and star of Hulu's Rami. He has just been nominated for Best Actor and Best Director for the show at the 2020 Emmys. Rami Youssef, thank you so much for joining us on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. An absolute joy to talk to you. Congratulations on an amazing TV show. Thank you guys for having me. It's so good to see you all again. Good to see you. (laughs) Bye, Rami. Later. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. In just a minute, Bill's giving out a brand new toy car. It's the Listener Limerick Challenge. Call one wait wait to join us on the air. We'll be back in a minute with more of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Starbucks by Nespresso. With rich, authentic Starbucks espresso now available for Nespresso original line machines, you can make a moment for yourself, all with the push of a button. Simply relax and enjoy your favorite espresso at home. Sip into a finer state with new Starbucks by Nespresso capsules available in select grocery stores. Support for NPR and the following message comes from Front Door. We all have that endless home to-do list. Repair the leaky dishwasher, fix the fridge, get the faucet to stop dripping. Get it all done with Front Door, the one-stop home repair and maintenance app. With Front Door, you can video chat with home repair experts, diagnose the problem faster, and cross off that to-do list. Now, when your home needs fixing or maintenance, just open the Front Door. Download and get unlimited video chats with an expert for just $25 a year. NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We're playing this week with Heaven Hong, Nagin Farsad, and Josh Gundelman. And here again is your host, whose new hobby is challenging himself to a thumb war, <laughs> Peter Sago. Thank you so much, Bill. In just a minute, Bill demands his own special game. What a rhyme Donna! It's the Listener Limerick Challenge. If you'd like to play, give us a call at one wait wait That's one 888 924 Right now, panel, though, some more questions for you from this week's news. Nagin, a couple is facing lots of criticism on social media after it was revealed that they waitlisted people for what? Oh, it's uh, is it like um, an event? Yes, it was specifically an event, yes. Oh, particularly kind their of wedding. Event. Yes, their wedding. The couple's invitation, which of course went viral when someone took a photograph of it, it assigned everyone to different groups, A, B, or C, and it said, quote, Group A, please RSVP as soon as possible. Group B, watch our website to see if we have space available. Group C, if no one from Group A or B can make it, we'll let you know. What? Quote. Yeah. What a now, pompous couple. Now, wait a minute. Before you leap to judge, it's a problem that everybody's got. You know, you've got friends who you really want to come and other friends you'd like to come if your better friends can't make it. You know, Grandma Trudy, she's an A. Rachel, who only brings Oreos in a Ziploc to game night, she's B. But you don't tell people what group <laughs> they're in. That's why there are no greeting cards in the Hallmark aisle that say, to my 51st best friend. <laughs> Wait, so they let everybody know what category they were yes. in? Yes. Wow. wow. I respect is... it. You do? You do? I do. I think that's a baller move. Let people know where they stand. <laughs> right. I mean, isn't it better if you're like a B or C person to like be told that right up front rather than getting a call the week before their wedding and going, hey, you want to come to our wedding next week? Yeah, every because everyone that gets married does that. They yeah. just don't. They just don't have the chutzpah to come right out and tell everyone where they That's stand. That's the thing. I mean, I don't wow. know why these people are being punished for their frankness and honesty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, this really begs the question: like, is the wedding going to be fun when there's such a high degree of honesty 
in the invitation because I can then also picture this couple being like, Ron, Cheryl, get off the dance floor. Those moves are not working. You know what I mean? I think, like, they're just they're too judging. frank. I think you get to be honest right back, right? That speak now or forever hold your peace section of the wedding is going to be on fire. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> There's going to be a line. If anyone just, has any reason this union should not, oh, please make a line going down the aisle. We have two microphones, one on each side. Mm-hmm. Yes. Please limit your comments to two minutes. <laughs> Good point. Starting with, have you seen the invitations? These people are monsters. <laughs> anyway, Helen, last month, a man in Wisconsin won $22 million in the Powerball lottery, but he gave up half his winnings. Why? Uh, he was going through a nasty divorce? No. Can I have a hint? Yeah, well, it was a pinky swear. Oh, he promised to split it with his kid. Not a his little kid. kid. You're close. It was a little kid, but he was a little kid too. He promised. Oh, wait, his, his childhood, childhood best friend. When they were both kids, they promised no. each other that if one of them ever grew up and won the lottery, they would split it. And 30 years later, stop it. The guy held up his end of the bargain. Oh I, my God. I have so many pinky squares that I want to unswear to right now. Yeah, it's oh, a problem. It's so cute. I'm so sorry. And I know this is NPR, but the only response to that is <laughs> <laughs> You moron. Wait, was he friends with the best friend still? The childhood yeah, friend Yeah, this still? is what happened. So he and his friend, well, they were very young. I don't know how young. And they said, hey man, if, we ever, if one of us ever wins the lottery, we will give the other half, right? So 30 years go by, and the guy wins the lottery. He wins $22 million. Friends. And he calls up his friend and says, listen, man, I won the lottery, and I'm giving you half. <gasps> and his friend replied, and I quote, are you jerking my bobber? Unquote. <laughs> what? You can't take $11 million from a friend. He's never going to stop mentioning that, right? Like, sometimes I, uh, I'll owe a friend, like, 50 bucks, and that'll keep coming up. But if a friend give me $11 million, I'd be like, hey, hey, do you want to drive to the concert? And he'll be like, well, I have 11 million reasons why you're going to drive. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up, it's lightning fill in the blank, but first it's the game where you have to listen for the rhyme. If you'd like to play on air, call or leave a message at one triple eight. wait wait That's one 888 Or you can click the Contact Us link on our website. That's waitwait.npr.org. And if you want more Wait Wait in your week, head over to at Wait Wait on Twitter or at Wait Wait NPR on Instagram. You can check out the Wait Wait quiz for your smart speaker. It's out every Wednesday with Bill and I asking you questions. It's just like this radio show. There's... No audience there either. Hi, you're on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hi, this is Sarah from Los Angeles. Hey, how are things in L.A.? Oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do there in L.A. when you're allowed to do it? I am the museum manager at the International Printing Museum. The International <gasps> Printing Museum? Now, I like to think I know my museums, but I don't know that one. Is it just museums of, I assume, printing from around the world? What is it? It's a little bit of everything. So, yeah, it's a... Uh, printing presses from around the world, old presses, newer presses, and we do art, but we also do histories. And before I came to the museum, I had never even heard of it either, so don't feel bad. Really? Yeah. Have you become a fan of printing as you work at the museum? Oh, 100%. Oh, it's You're not sick of it? You're like, if I have to look at another written word today. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sarah, welcome to the show. Bill Curtis is going to read you three news-related limericks with a last word or phrase missing from each of them. If you can fill in that last word or phrase correctly and two of the limericks will be a winner. You ready to play? I am. Here is your first limerick. Our fine drink made for times when you dine. The distilleries take for their brine. Our French vineyard's excess helps to slow COVID's mess. We make hand sanitizer from... Wine. Yes, wine. With tariffs and COVID, there's, of course, a surplus of French wine, so the French government is helping winemakers by turning their excess stock into hand sanitizer. It's great for those of you who miss a glass of wine at a fancy restaurant. Now you can enjoy rubbing that wine all over your hands after you visit a gas station bathroom. Does it come in flavors? Like, can I get, you know, can I try the Merlot hand sanitizer, please? Yeah. Or And the best part I... is, if it comes, you don't like it, you can send it back. They give you enough just to put on one thumb first. It's terrible. Like, they oh, charge you $12 for joke. that. It's like, oh, my God, just a little bit. It's the worst. Sarah, here is your next limerick. We suspect bioterror misdeeds. But right now, we don't have any leads. Please report without fail. Tiny packs in your mail, and don't plant any mystery seeds. Seeds, yes. yes. It's time for even more demon seed news. Random <laughs> seeds being sent from China have been showing up in people's mailboxes all around the country. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is strongly advising Americans to not plant them. They say they could be invasive species sent by China to destroy our crops, or worse, you could suddenly start talking about gardening all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but who would plant random seeds you get from a stranger in the mail? Or in the words of one woman interviewed by reporters on this story, quote, I already planted them. <laughs> I absolutely would plant them, Peter. You really would. You're like, oh, <laughs> yes. see what this is. Maybe there'll be a beanstalk and I can get the hell out of here at last. This is how bored people are these days, is that like whoever's doing this new just when to strike, right? Because it's like, okay, they've been in their house. They'll do whatever. Like you could, it, It's like if they sent a jigsaw puzzle. Most times in my life, I'd be like, no. But this month, I'd be like, yeah, okay, thank God. Someone's looking out for me. The seeds come in packages marked jewelry or electronics. And inside are these like brown seeds. The USDA is currently testing the seeds in a lab saying they could contain dangerous diseases or even biological weapons, while the White House insists they could definitely cure coronavirus. (laughs) Here is your last limerick. Around 35 grand is the bid for a toy car that screeches and skids. Just trained on the potty, he drives a Bugatti, a replica built for my... Kid. Yes, very good, Sarah. You got it. (laughs) Bugatti is releasing a brand new luxury car just for children, the Bugatti Baby. It starts at $35,000. What? It's just in time for your kid's one-eighth life crisis. It's I like this because you you see who gives them to gives these to their children, right? Yeah. And then you can point out those parents and go, that's why we can't all have health insurance because exactly, they have the yeah. money. <laughs> yeah. This beautiful hand-built electric yeah. toy car goes up to 42 miles per hour, which what? is faster than some full-size Chrysler's. Wait, so what's the target age group that is that is this is marketed for? Well, like you've seen kids drive these electric little cars around, right? Yeah, and they're this like is, they're like 8 or seven, yeah, even well, younger, this is like that, 6 but seven, much eight. that's well, that's what is like that's what's confusing. It's so powerful that can, it can only be marketed to teens, but obviously it's for children. It's a little weird. There are three versions of the car, one of them that maxes out at 12 miles an hour, another at 30, and the fastest model 
at $65,000. What? Comes with a speed key that allows the car to go up to 42 miles per hour. What? Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, also, it is real ballsy. It is like scrotum frog level ballsy (laughs) to like release this product in the middle of a global economic downturn. Well, that's this is the first in a line of products, right? The first one is a Bugatti, and then the second one is a guillotine, and then just (laughs) Bill, how did Sarah do in our quiz? Well, she did great. Uh, All three rides, she'll probably buy that Bugatti. (laughs) Congratulations, Sarah. Thank you so much. Thanks. Take care. I tell you, man, she's unreal. She's a first-class, super-fast automobile. A first-class, super-fast automobile. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the official Hacks podcast from Max. Join the creators and showrunners of Hacks as they discuss each episode and speak with the cast and crew about the making of the series. Listen to the official Hacks podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Now it is time to move on to our final game, Lightning Fill-in-the-Blank. Each of our players will have 60 seconds in which to answer as many fill-in-the-blank questions as they can. Each correct answer now worth two points. Bill, can you give us the scores? I sure can. Nagin has four points, Josh has four, and Helen has five. All right, Nagin and Josh are tied. I will just arbitrarily choose Josh to go first. Josh, fill in the blank. On Thursday, President Trump floated the idea of delaying blank. The election. Right. On Wednesday, Nancy Pelosi made blanks mandatory on the House floor. Masks. Right. On Thursday, former GOP presidential hopeful blank died from coronavirus complications. Herman Cain. Right. After a number of people complained that they were flying the Confederate flag, a bed and breakfast in Michigan took down their blank. Uh... Vacancy sign. No, their Norwegian flag. With 26 (laughs) nominations, HBO's Watchmen led the pack for the 2020 Blank Awards. Emmys. Right. Visitors driving through a safari park in England were alarmed when they saw a group of baboons blanking. Mating? Carrying chainsaws. The primates are known to crawl all over the cars of visitors driving through the park, which is fun for the whole family, except when the monkeys are carrying screwdrivers, knives, and, in one case, chainsaws. What? No one's sure where they're getting the tools. Some employees blame teenagers pranking them. Others think the baboons are practicing to be the world's smelliest NASCAR pit crew. (laughs) (laughs) Bill, how did Josh do in our quiz? Josh had four right, eight more points. He now has 12 and takes over the lead. All right, Nagin, you're up next. Fill in the blank. On Thursday, Presidents Bush, Clinton, and Obama attended the funeral for civil rights icon and Congressman Blank in Atlanta. Lewis. Yes, John Lewis. On Tuesday, Blank said he planned to unveil his running mate next week. Joe Biden. Right. This week, the death toll from Blank in the U.S. surpassed 150,000. Coronavirus. Yes. In a controversial move, the White House announced it will move 12,000 U.S. troops out of Blank. Portland. (laughs) Germany. A woman attempting to hire an assassin to kill her husband was caught when she realized Blank. Um, like she, her ATM funds were low. No, she was caught when she realized that rentahitman.com is not a real website. On Monday, (laughs) search giant blank announced employees would be allowed to work remotely through 2021. Google. Right. On Sunday, Olivia de Havilland, best known as the co-star of blank, passed away at 104 years old. 
Oh, um, Gone with the Wind? Yes, claiming that they've damaged property and disturbed patrons, two blanks were banned from a bar in Australia this week. Patrons? No, two emus. The two emus were constant visitors of the Yarka Hotel Bar in Australia because sometimes you drink to forget God made you a flightless bird. <laughs> Club owner Gary Gimblet finally had enough, saying the emus are, quote, very smelly and they created great stains. Unlike the human pub dwellers who are very smelly but create even greater stains. <laughs> Bill, how did Nagin do on our quiz? She had five right, ten more points. She now has 14 and takes over the lead. All right. And how many, then, does Helen need to win and finally make her parents proud? <laughs> five to win. You can do it, Helen. Here we go. Fill in the blank. On Monday, the GOP unveiled their new $1 trillion blank bill. Coronavirus stimulus. Right. On Wednesday, it was reported the Supreme Court Justice Blank was admitted back into the hospital for a non-surgical procedure. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Right. On Thursday, NASA successfully launched a new rover tasked with finding proof of life on blank. Mars. Right. In an effort to aid economic recovery, the Fed said they would keep blanks near zero for the foreseeable future. Interest rates. Right. Firefighters in Florida were unable to save a man's car from being destroyed by a fire after the man blanked. Set it on fire. Drove around with a lit, scented candle burning in his car. On Monday, <laughs> the Moderna company announced it was receiving more federal funding for its blank. Oh, uh, a vaccine? Right, coronavirus vaccine. On Tuesday, Target joined Walmart in announcing they would be closed on blanks giving this year. Thanksgiving. Yes. Citing the company's privacy policy, Amazon says they can't reveal the identity of the person who keeps sending a man in the UK blank. Pizzas. No, rubber duckies. What? Every day for the past three weeks, delivery drivers have dropped off a single rubber duck at the <gasps> man's home. And the identity of the sender is still unclear. The man even reached out to Amazon to help solve the mystery and to make sure that the packages were supposed to be for him and not well, those two sweet gay puppets who live down the street. <laughs> that's real creepy. It is. Bill, did Helen do well enough to win our quiz? She had six right for 12 more points, which means with a total of 17, she is the champ this week. In just a minute, we're going to ask our panelists to predict who will be Joe Biden's surprise pick for vice president when he makes his announcement next week. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions' Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. Philip Godica writes our limericks. Our public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our house manager is Gianna Capadona. Our intern is Emma Day. Our web guru, that's Beth Novi. B.J. Liederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dornboss, and Lillian King. Corn Palace Prince, that's Peter Gwynn. Our bear whisperer is Steve Searles. Technical direction is from Lorna White. Our business and ops manager is Colin Miller. Our production manager is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is Ian Chillog. And the executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Michael McSteamy Danforth. Now, panel... Who will Joe Biden pick as his VP next week? Nagin Farsad. A uh, baby Yoda and a miracle be adorable to all the way to the polls. Helen Hong. Whoever wins the latest round of Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Moe. And Josh Gondelman. He's going to go back on his promise to uh, appoint a woman. He's going to uh, reach across the aisle and he's going to bring along his old friend Corn Pop. <laughs> if any of that happens, we'll ask you about it on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you, Bill Curtis. Thanks also to Josh Gondelman, Helen Hong, and Nagin Farsad. And thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Peter Sagal. Guys, we did it. We got through another week of this. And I bet we can do one more, can't you? You can. We'll see you next week. This is NPR. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Homes.com. When you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Homes.com has got you covered with a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR. 